Hey guys, I'm Eric McLean. And I'm Kelly Gramlich. It's time to talk some ACC football. Let's go. Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome into Gramlick and Mac Lane. It is the finale, KG. Somehow, we have just sped through this ACC under review. Super excited for you guys to hear this episode. The final episode, number 12, Syracuse with our guy Brent Axe and Georgia Tech with Kelly Quinlan. KG, post 222 day, how you feeling? <laughs> feeling good. I am honored that we have another Kelly on the pod. I think this may be the first Kelly that we have had. So, you know, finally we've come to our senses. We're adding a Ke- another Kelly into the mix. But Mac, this has been fun. We've blown through these. It feels like just yesterday that we started. If you missed North Carolina and Duke, we combined them. It's just some scheduling stuff. We're not trying to shortchange either team, but putting North Carolina and Duke together with Lauren Brownlow, that was on Tuesday. So make sure you listen to that. Mac, do we want to tell the people what we have cooking for uh, next week for kind of March and April? Come on, KG, you're, you're giving you're you're uh, bringing the curtain out. You're looking behind the curtain here, I, guys. I'm excited because we're transitioning into a really fun time, and basically what we're doing is as we continue to go through March football, it never stops, right? It just keeps going, and so we have the NFL Combine coming up. We're gonna have some really fun coverage for you guys. Basically, how we're gonna handle that is. Two preview episodes. So we're going to do one on March 1st. That's going to be the offensive side with a special guest. And then on March 3rd, we're going to do the defensive side of the combine with another fun guest. And then to end it all, the following Monday on March 7th, we're going to recap everything. So we'll have numbers. We'll have stats. Hopefully get to talk to some guys and just see how their experience was. And re- really excited to, to uh, you know just jump through all that because this is one of the most important you know, kind of just pieces for these guys as they move on. And then as we continue into March, we're going to kind of transition to, you know, one episode per week, as if you guys remember we did a year ago, and we'll do schedule breakdowns, new coaches breakdowns, portal players, and and everybody's moving and changing teams. Uh, And then we'll get into some spring news and notes. So really excited for for kind of this March-April transition that we're about to go through. It's going to be fun. And get ready for our guests next week. I'll say, as you mentioned, Mac, a defensive guy, an offensive guy, and I think we're actually splitting this up nicely, a guy from the Coastal and a guy from the Atlantic who nice will be participating in the Combine. So if you can guess that, by all means, uh, take your best guess. But let's get into Syracuse with Brent Axe. We're going to start with the Orange. Our guy Brent Axe has been in sports media in Syracuse since 2002. Currently, Brent writes for Syracuse.com. He has his own radio show on ESPN Syracuse. He's also an adjunct professor at Syracuse. This guy does it all. I don't know how he found time to talk to us, to be honest with you, but safe to say this will not be the last time that you guys hear from Brent. It was a ton of fun. The Axeman bleeds orange all day long. Let's talk about Cuse. Brent, welcome into the podcast, my man. Thank you so much for joining us today. Excited to dive in to the Syracuse Orange with you. I'm uh, glad to be here, and it's great to get football back on the mind. You know, That's the basketball right. team up here is 
uh, not having its usual year. <laughs> it's going to be weird to look around in March Madness and be like, hey, oh, look, everybody else is playing, but uh, Syracuse is back at home. So let's get that football conversation going. That's right. Well, let me start by saying this. The ACC in general is going to be looking around and saying, yeah. where the heck is everybody? It is a <clears> strange <throat> men's basketball year. Women are dominating. Right. Excuse me, KG. Excuse me. Um, but <laughs> let, let's just look at overall at the 21 season, man, because a, a spotty season and – I guess inconsistency is really, you know, just the biggest thing. And, and, you know, we finished the season five and seven. Kelly and I were super hopeful. I mean, we were the biggest Q's fans to end the season of let's get one more. Let's go bowling. And we just came up just a little bit short. Yeah. And that's just it. It's like, what's the one play? What's the moment that would have got that team over the hump? I think about the end of the Florida State game when Florida State clearly held Syracuse, didn't get called, went down and scored. They had that run where, you know, they're in so many close games. Towards the end, the last three games, you know, the wheels kind of came off for Syracuse, and they were so one-dimensional that they were easy to stop. But, I mean, they're one play, one game away from being in a bowl game, and that's huge, right? So, you know, Dino Baber certainly was very aggressive this offseason trying to get one more win, and that's like what this is all about, the quest for one more win the problem is, this is we'll talk about the upcoming season, that schedule is a bear for this team. Just that did not work out for these guys. But 2021, was everything was just short of where it, it should be. And it's pretty amazing how it happened, guys, because you, know, you make a quarterback switch from one philosophy to the other. Sean Tucker, if it, listen, if this team won a couple more games – would be right in the thick of the Heisman Trophy conversation. I mean, that's just how good he was. And this team had to adjust on the fly and figure it out as they went. They just couldn't get over that hump. So that was the question at the end of the year. What does Syracuse do to get over that hump? And as we'll talk about here, I, I think they've had an incredible offseason, particularly on the coaching front and the investments that they've made. The issue now is how do you get that done in one year? How do you make all these new things happen in one season to show everybody that this is in fact heading in the right direction. We will get back into that projecting forward. Um, but let's talk about the 2021 season overall and, and Sean Tucker, absolute monster. That guy, like to your point, Brent, what amazed me about him is everyone knew it was coming. Like you knew it was going to be Sean Tucker and he had nine 100 yard games. He would tweet about his performances I love it. I think I'm going to start adopting that if I was pleased with my performance or not. <laughs> it was the best. He just seems like a real humble guy who who keeps his head down and grinds. So first of all, were you surprised by his production? And then second of all, I'm intrigued, and I, I'm not trying to spread any rumors at all. I like this, that we haven't heard any transfer portal rumors. This is a guy who's sticking with Syracuse from, from what we know. I was surprised that he was on that level. We started to see signs of it at the end of his freshman year. But Kelly, you said it, like everybody knew what was coming and he still ran over around it and through teams. Uh, let me just give you some numbers here. So Tucker was the leading rusher on this team. The second leading rusher was Garrett Schrader. You know who the third leading rusher on that team last year was? Tommy DeVito. Okay. Oh, no. Wow. That, that just shows wow. you how much Sean Tucker got the football, right? And Syracuse, as we mentioned, had to completely shift what it was. Under DeVito, this was more of a, you know, fast-paced, passing-style offense. All of a sudden, they're ground and pound with a quarterback that certainly helped them out there in Garrett Schrader. So I I was 
surprised to see that. And I, I, Kelly, go back. I, I forget your second question. So just talking about the portal and, and how right. much yeah. the portal has, you know, consumed college football. We never heard any rumors about Tucker entering that portal. And Syracuse fans were certainly freaking out about that going down the stretch because why wouldn't you in this world we're in? But a credit to him and his dad, his dad really serves as kind of his, his and a lot of football dads and moms do this, like his they're, they're pseudo agents and looking over him, particularly with the opportunities that are out there with name, image, and likeness and the transfer portal and everything. But he's committed to Syracuse. He likes the coaching staff. He, he likes Syracuse, New York. He likes the school. He ran a little a track. Uh, in, in the winter here, and that was fun to see. So they're letting him do some other things here. And it's just, that's the choice you got to make. Do you want to go to, you know, a, a bigger school, if you will, go to Clemson and, and be one of a few, or do you want to be the guy? And there was a lot of 44 discussion last year, and yeah. Tucker at one point was into it. But then he realized, like, wait a minute, I can make my own mark here. I can make the 34 just as good as the 44. And I think he appreciates that, and he knows that. It's just the balance there, Kelly, because he is the offense. So with these new coaches Syracuse is bringing in and the, and what they've got to do going forward, how do they give them a little help going forward? That's going to be big. Yeah, and, and you talk about the the 44, and we asked him specifically. We had him on during the season and, and just wanted to know, and he said, you know, I, I want to make 34 special, exactly what you just said. And, and I was kind of taken back a little bit just because from the outside and, and having never spoken to him about it, that's all everyone says is, oh, he's got to wear 44. He's got – and so all these people. So I'm like, okay, sure, yeah, of course he wants to. And then when you actually ask him, the guy who matters the most, he's like, no, man, I, I, I want to make you know this number. I want to do this and, and honor those guys this way. And I thought that was very cool. We mentioned that one-two punch of Tucker and quarterback Garrett Schrader – Really fun to watch when it was hitting on all cylinders. I mean, it was almost unstoppable, a little bit of a triple option type of vibe just because you have two threats that can absolutely kill you in the run game. Knowing how they finished and and what that can look like kind of in its prime form, do you expect to see more of that? Do you expect to see it kind of with a fine-tooth comb and, and really just make that into, okay, this is who we are, this is what we do on a consistent basis? You know, it, it's going to be interesting to see the balance there, Eric, because the last few games of the season, he just could not throw the football. And teams knew it, and they got after him, and the limits of the offense started to show. But, man, Garrett's a gamer. Like, when it was on the line, he would make a play. He would make a throw. He That that running aspect he brought, I love his guts and his determination. He's a big dude. He's hard to tackle. So you want to utilize that in your offense. But, look, this is this is college football in 2022 you got to throw the ball. So I'm curious to see how Robert and I, and particularly Jason Beck, who they brought in from Virginia, make him a better thrower. They brought in a quarterback through the transfer portal and Dan Villari, who is a Long Island kid, uh, dare I say a little Dungy-esque in his game. Oh, look out. Yeah, look out. Has a little bit of a better arm than Schrader. Was at Michigan. Wasn't going to crack the rotation there. Comes back home. And Dan was thrilled to come to Syracuse. You know, what we were talking about with Sean Tucker, you want guys that want to be here? He said he wanted to go to Syracuse. They just didn't recruit him. And here he is with an opportunity to to compete. So the irony is there, guys, that last year they bring in Garrett to compete with Tommy DeVito and bring the best out of that room. And now they're doing the same thing with Valari, Jacoby, and Morgan, and Justin Lampson are in there too. But look, this is Schrader's job if he still wants it. So right. I think you build on his strengths. 
But I think everything's on the table, particularly with think of the three offensive minds you've got in that room now. Right. Yeah. Babers and I and Beck, like put it all on the table. I, I'd love to see some different things out of that offense. Use all your quarterbacks, use everything at your disposal. And that was my big complaint about last year. They just didn't do that. They did not use all the weapons at their disposal. Notably, they did not throw the ball to the tight end. And Luke Benson's gone. You know, he knew that and he transferred out of here as Aaron Hackett did the year before that. So uh, just, you know, when you're Syracuse and you're trying to fight up the ladder here in a, in a tough division, just why are you leaving anything off the table when it comes to offensive creativity? And it, it seems like they're finally coming around to that. And if there's a guy that's going to give it to you, it's Robert and I, right? Like coach and I is, is so creative, such a genius. We saw all the unique, crazy Bronco Mendenhall doesn't know what to even call it formations right. at Virginia. I mean, do, do you expect that type of number one freedom and number two, that type of system. I mean, cause Virginia could not run the ball for the last three years. I mean, outside of the quarterback, which I mean, that's obviously good, but they could not get that going. How much, I mean, of that Virginia style offense do you expect to see with this Syracuse team? As much as they can do, because the, the, as we brought up earlier, the challenge is how much of this can these guys digest in a spring and, and a fall camp before it gets going. And I mean, you got Louisville in your first game and you've got Purdue on the 17th and you've got a tough schedule. So they're diving right in the pool in this thing. So how much can they process? And what I'm encouraged by Eric from a offensive line standpoint is they've got a lot of names coming back. That line was much improved last year because they knew that if Garrett Schrader could, could kind of bail them out if a play broke down, whereas unfortunately with DeVito, that just wasn't the case. If a play broke down, it broke down. It's just the way it went. Tucker, same thing. So I think that offensive line, a year better, you're more experienced, you're bigger. And in this offense, it's, what can they process? What can the quarterback process? What can everybody process? But I can't wait to see what they do. And I think that's an advantage for Syracuse because think about how predictable they were at the end of, of the season. Right. And now everybody's coming in like, oh, man, what are those guys going to do? Right. That's that could be a huge advantage for this team, at least early on before, you know, defensive coordinators are smart and they catch up quick. But initially, Syracuse is a wild card. And I love it. Well, especially that first game against Louisville. Louisville is not going to know what to expect. So that's going to be interesting. Let's talk about this defense, Brent. They've transitioned to the 3-3-5. They're bringing back some big names, especially Mikel Jones. He's coming back. Chestnut Williams, these guys. You got to be excited about that. They they had their moments last year. I think of the Clemson game where they played really well, but they were inconsistent at times. What do you expect from this defense next year? Well, the big thing, Kelly, is you you said it. Mikel Jones and Garrett Williams could have gone to the NFL draft and both probably could have got picked. They decided to come back. That's huge. Deuce Chestnut's one of the best young players in the ACC, and he uh, essentially recruited. Uh, Elijah Clark from Rutgers out of the portal. Syracuse built up some depth in its cornerback position. They brought in uh, Isaiah Johnson, who was an all-Ivy player at Dartmouth. Uh, Braylon Oliver from Louisville comes in, so your, your secondary's been shored up. I love the linebackers with, you know, you mentioned Mikel Jones is back, Stephon Thompson is back. I think Marlo Wax, I thought, was one of the most underrated players. Your freaky, guy, Eric. Freaky. You, He's you freaky. Yeah. He he he's gonna just he could be all ACC this year, second or third team if he if he keeps this up. The issue is up front. You know you got to replace a guy like Josh Black who's flipping off walls, you know, and getting retweets from the Rock. And but I don't know if you guys saw this tweet recently. Josh Black's got a little conflict 
His pro day is on the same day he was going to try out for the WWE. Right. What are you going to do? Like, what are you going to do? Like, what do we do here? You know, like, can we reschedule this for my man so he can try Let's and get go a WWE. with The Rock, right? Come on. I say go WWE and then just become The Rock's protege and become a multi-billionaire superstar in the movies. That's I think that's idea. the plan. That's a good idea. And he's got the personality to do that, oh, Kelly. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have had him on your podcast, but you should. He's awesome to talk to. One of my favorite athletes ever to talk to at Syracuse. But that's the big thing is what what can they do to replace him and and shore up the defensive line. But linebackers in the secondary, you know, they're looking pretty good there as we talked about. The the huge thing was getting Jones and Williams back because without them, I think there'd be some tough holes to fill. Yeah, I, I think it's it's massive. And then those guys are they're absolute pros. And Mikel Jones, I just want to get this on the record. I know I've said it a hundred times, but I mean, I put him as like a Weapon X preseason just because I thought he'd be in kind of a hybrid role, but he's a true linebacker, and he'll hit you right in the box. He'll line up and can run with anybody. He is so fun to watch. Where do you have him in this linebacking core of the ACC? Is is he top five to you? Is he top three to you? I mean, it's it's pretty deep in the conference, but he's that good, I think. He's all ACC first team. I don't think there's any question about it. He's always around the ball. Every time you watch him play, he makes the right decision. I can't remember a time watching him being like he was out of position or, man, he got burned on that one. I mean, everybody makes bad plays here and there, right? I, Andre Sisco was the comparison there, but he'd get beat deep sometimes. He was one of the most fundamentally sound safeties I've ever seen, but he could get beat, and that guy's still in the NFL with Jacksonville, right? Mikel never makes a mistake on the field. It's freaky how often he's exactly where he needs to be at all times. He's a leader on that defense. He frees things up for Marlowe to, to make plays. And the fact that he's coming back, I mean, it's not just, you know, you assess your NFL thing and maybe he can improve on that. What, what he said, what Garrett said, Andre Schmidt decided to come back, right? They're all in. They're buying into, no, we are not leaving this place until we get Syracuse over that proverbial hump that, that we talked about earlier. And, that's we brought it up with Tucker. We brought it up with Valari, the transfer quarterback. There's something about what this this team and this coaching staff is doing to get guys to to really buy in and, and want to be a part of it here. And, and I mean that's so cool, right? Because you're buying into the coaching staff, you're buying into the program, you're buying into the culture, and that's how that's how you can really build. That's how you can get things going. I think we've seen it with a Pittsburgh. I mean, how many guys have they had come back that really trust the process that say, okay, my best shot to get to the NFL is to stay here as long as I can, develop the best I can, and then go when the time is right. And I think that we've seen that in recent history here with Syracuse. That's a great point. And listen, I think everybody in Syracuse wants Dino Babers to work out here. I mean, the way he relates to the fan base his pop culture references. He just, he's a, I love talking to him off the air, if you will, just, you know, because you know, football coaches sometimes li like live in their own world and they don't know a world exists outside of the film room. And God bless the man, Paul Pasqualoni, like lived in a film room. And like, I don't know if he ever left like the, the quadrant of the, the, the Syracuse University <laughs> campus. Okay. Dino Babers watches Game of Thrones. He knows pop culture references. He's, He's been around town like he's he's part of the community. And that is so cool. Right. But football is football. You got to win games and you can't keep piling up losing seasons. So it's going to put John Wildhack in a pretty interesting position if this team is in the same position it was last year. But 
by all accounts, people want this to work. And that's how you make it work, right? That's how you make it work in Syracuse, New York. You need culture. You need intangibles to get you over the hump. And if you got a lot of guys, NFL level guys that are buying in here, that, that's only going to help. Okay. Speaking of that, speaking of getting over the hump, when I look at this Syracuse schedule, I definitely see your point here, Brent. They have NC State at Clemson, Notre Dame at Pitt in a four-week stretch in the middle, and that's coming after the bye week, so you don't get like a bye week in between there. So the way I look at it is at that very beginning, Louisville, UConn, Purdue, UVA, Wagner, four of those five at home, you got to go like four and one there. Is that the way you see it if you want to go bowling? 100%. 100%. And I, I talked to John Wildhack a couple of weeks ago on my radio show, and I said, did you lose a bet with Jim Phillips or something? <laughs> why, why did you get this schedule? I was going to say, who and did this, y'all make mad? I mean, right. October 15th through the end of the season, have fun. Good luck. It's brutal. It's absolutely brutal. So they've got to take advantage of those home games. This is one of the greatest home slates I have ever seen in the Carrier Dome, by the way. Notre Dame's coming later in the year just the ACC teams that are coming in, it's it's an incredible run. So they've got to go four and one, you know, whatever good record they can get in that stretch, Kelly, because, you know, look, as the season goes along, it's a war of attrition. Who gets hurt? This is a Syracuse team that has just tended to fade in the, in the past couple of seasons. You've got to pile up as many wins as you can. Last year's a prime example of that, right? They're sitting on that fifth win. They go into the, the final stretch of the season with three chances to get win six, and they don't get it. So you got to pile up as much as you can at home. Virginia early on, of course, you've, you've got the coaching staff that, you know, can get all the insight on Brennan Armstrong. But, you know, look, even Purdue, like this is where it burns you when you make these schedules five, six years ahead of time. Just so happens you get a pretty good Purdue team. It's got a great quarterback coming in. That's not an easy game. Uh, UConn and Wagner, I mean, by golly, they're awful. So you got to win those games and take care of business. But where's the upset? That's the question. And you brought up, not only do you have to upset one of those teams, Kelly, but to play them all in a row, I just, that is brutal. So, I mean, NC State's at home. You go to Clemson, Notre Dame. I know Pitt doesn't have Kenny Pickett anymore, but that, you know, that's not an easy game. So, you tell me where the upset is. Florida State at home at Wake, who obviously is, is much better. And, at, and home to BC, who's, who's going to have Phil Dracovic back and should be a better team. So, Man, I, I don't know. I, I'm trying to find where the upset in, in that stretch is. <laughs> I don't think you can lose all of them and make a bowl game. Like you've got to spring an upset in there somewhere. Maybe NC State, but I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm just I'm I'm the shoulder shrug emoji guy. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> wow, wow. Where is it? You got to find it somewhere. I, I'm going to take the positive road here and think, man, Sean Tucker has an amazing opportunity to win some awards because if he shows out against this NC State defense that might be one of the best in the league, Clemson, one of the best in the country, Notre Dame, they have a lot of guys back, Pitt, we know what they do. If he can do some crazy stuff, 100 yards in each of those games, how can you deny him? How can you deny that he's the guy, that he's the walker? Win? I mean, the fact that he wasn't the finalist for that, I mean, it's throw the award away, to be honest. But but then I think about NC State scored 28 points in a quarter against Syracuse right. last year. So Can't like, do that. Can't do that. Let me ask you this. Point. That's right. Let me, let me ask you this. Um, when you look at this team in 22, they will get to a bowl if blank. I know clearly six wins, but what what's the what's the the biggest factor, the biggest change of the team? 
Okay, so a couple things. One, they add some creativity into the offense. They balance out the offense. They do have some good receivers. You know, Courtney Jackson emerged at the end of last year. Uh, Damian Alford and Aronde Gatson, the second. Of course, his dad played in the NFL with the Dolphins. Big targets. They started to emerge in the offense. Trevor Pena comes back this year. Anthony Queeley, I thought, was a guy who gets open in the flat. So they do have weapons. So you got to open up the offense, number one. You got to shore up your defensive line, number two. And it's what we did. Three, just stay on the Tucker train as, as long and as far down the road as you can. And it's what we just talked about, guys. The fourth thing is where's the upset? You got to spring an upset to put that in your back pocket and have that that opportunity to grab a six win when it, it's convenient, not like going down the stretch of the season, like, oh my God, we've got to beat Wake or Boston College to get in. Just it's a long season. But it just goes to show you how important the September can be in college football. I know we focus a lot is on November and down the stretch, but look, September, what a green day say, wake me up when September ends. No, wake <laughs> me up when August ends, because that's when it starts. And that's, that's right. You got to be wide awake. From day one. My man. Well, Brent, this was so much fun, man. Thank you for your time. Appreciate you joining us. We have got to do this again in football season. Anytime. You guys have me back. It took 158 episodes for me to come on one. <laughs> it Let's won't be 158 more. I promise that. I promise that. There you go. Thanks to Brent Axe. Look, if you care any bit about anything Syracuse and you aren't following Brent. He he really is the best. We we love him. He's our guy up there in Syracuse. He does an awesome job with covering all sports, basketball, football, everything else in between. So we appreciate Brent. His insight is, is always excellent. And look, I liked what he said about this offense. Who knows? You know Sean Tucker's going to be there. You know Garrett Schrader's going to be there in some capacity. What do they do bringing in some of these new guys on the coaching staff? And I think he made a great point about that opening game with Syracuse and Louisville. Louisville has no idea they, they're going to have no idea what Syracuse is going to be doing, besides probably giving the ball to Sean Tucker a good bit. <laughs> That's right. I, I really can't wait to see this team. I mean, th- there's a lot of excitement. We, you know, follow them extremely close. Not that we don't everybody, but, you know, really we're pulling for Syracuse to make that bowl game. And just to, to see this next step, can they do it? Can they do, you know, and, and get to a bowl game? And I think the biggest thing is just going to be consistency on both sides of the ball, uh, especially when you look at quarterback play from Schrader, he's got to be able to throw it. And, and I'm not saying that he has to be, you know, Kenny Pickett or, or Devin Leary or, you know, any of these great quarterbacks, Sam Hartman, whatever. He just has to be able to hit some throws. You know, he, he has to be where it's not 100% run. Let's make it happen. You know, if he can throw for right at 2,000 yards, I think that'll be very impressive for Syracuse. But then the creativity piece, is, as you just said, I mean, what is this going to look like? Are we going to have – you know, quarterbacks lined up as tight ends, running all over the place. Who knows? It's going to be really fun, you know, to see how Coach Robert and I, you know, really just utilizes Sean Tucker and, and puts him in the best situation uh, to win. Because as you guys saw, Sean Tucker's Mr. Do-It-All. And special teams, running game, receiving game, he, he can do it for you. So really excited to see that. And then this defense. I mean, Mikel Jones, Garrett Williams, Deuce Chestnut, Marlo Wax, and a plethora of other guys. I mean, the star power is there. Now we have to go and get results. That's going to be the biggest thing. But, KG, I'm excited to see it. If you they can put it all together, 
mean, look out. Maybe a dark horse to make some noise and to ruin Ooh. some dreams. It, it'll be really interesting to see with Syracuse. But it is now time to jump into our last team of ACC under review. I'm, I'm getting a little teary-eyed over here. The Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. And we are joined, as Kelly said, by another Kelly. Kelly Quinlaw is going to join us to break down all things GT. Kelly is a recruiting analyst for Rivals.com and the managing editor covering Georgia Tech. I root for the success of all Kellys. Let's get to our final team with my fellow Kelly. Kelly, welcome into the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Excited. This is this is our final team, man, of ACC under review. Uh, so really excited to have you today and, and break down all things Georgia Tech. Yeah, no problem. Happy to do it. So there's, there's been so much excitement, right, about Georgia Tech with branding, the promise for future, the 404, the culture, all that. But 2019, three wins. 2020, three wins. 21, three wins. We, we have to get more wins going into 22, right? I mean, we just have to start compiling some stuff together. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting. If you go back and look at last season, they were, you know, six, seven plays away from from being a bowl team. Um, they were really close The Mar. They'd improved dramatically from, you know, the first two years where they, you know, were pretty bad to, you know, other than the last two games of the season, they were really competitive um, last year. Uh, every week, you know, I think they had three games that were bad. They played Pitt, Notre Dame, and Georgia bad. But everyone else, they were right in the mix. And and so that's encouraging on one level. But, you know, for Tech fans, they, they had a long bowl streak um, really going into last year's with Paul Johnson that's something they pride themselves on. And now you've gone three years where you won three games each year. So, you know, the expectations are really ramped up for Jeff Collins and he's got to win. There's a lot of pressure on him and the AD Todd Stansberry now to, to turn this around because it's taking a little bit longer than people expected. It is. But I also think we just haven't seen this in the modern era where you're taking a team from being an option team to this. It's, it's going to take time. And the first thing I think of when we were getting ready for this episode, Kelly was, Jameer Gibbs. And it's, I hate, I'm really anti the portal in terms of not having some sort of consequence when you transfer, because you're going to get these types of things. You're going to get teams like Alabama poaching the best player off of a team like Georgia Tech that's trying to rebuild. So, I mean, where does Georgia Tech go from there, losing Jameer Gibbs to the portal? Well, I mean, it's tough too, because I I feel like it had an impact on Tashar Choice, running back coach leaving. Like, you know, it's tough, right? Like when you're in that situation and Choice did a great job. He was the first guy to recruit Jameer Gibbs. He stayed on the whole time in Ohio State and Florida. All these other schools came after him late. And now you're, you're, you know, trying to not be a farm team for other people. And so it puts a lot of financial pressure on schools to, to go make NIL deals with these kids, with their boosters, to, to try to keep them. Because that's really ultimately the only thing you can do if there's a kid like Jameer Gibbs that's so talented you know, in Alabama, he might get a million dollars in NIL money before it's all said and done. And, and that's tough for anyone to match, right? So, yeah, it, to me, there's two – I have two main issues with the portal thing. Um, one is the, – the main one I have right now, actually, is that kids should be limited in when they can go into the portal. It should be before the season, after the season, and after spring ball – and that's it, right? Like you can't just go in, you have a bad week at practice and you go on the portal because you're upset with your coach. And there's stuff like that happening. I know a couple of kids that like just lost their temper and went into the portal at different schools. So, um, you know, you look at what's happening in Georgia Tech right now. They've had 
they just finished winter workouts. They're a couple of days away from starting spring ball and there's kids leaving because they wanted to work out with the team, but they don't want to go through spring and get hurt. So they waited until the end of, and it's crazy. And that's literally what they're telling me they did. Like they wanted to get their workouts in and now they're going into the portal, but they, cause they don't want to go through spring and chance getting hurt to, to hurt their stock. So they've had four kids leave since the end of winter workouts that were all, um, three were starters and, and one was, a, a like a backup guy. And, they were literally just hanging out because, hey, we're going to you know, do this and stay in shape. So, I mean, it's a little bit of a nightmare for people. And if you're a coach, you're kind of being held hostage a little bit by this as well. I mean, th- th- this is a whole new world. That's crazy to hear that. I mean, eye-opening to say the least. But, I mean, wh- what have you heard, I guess, from some of these coaches, from Collins himself about – I mean, how the heck do you manage that? How, how do you have to recruit your own team while you're trying to go out and, and still build and put pieces together? Yeah, I mean, they're, you know, right now, um, as of our record, I think they have 77 guys on scholarship and they were at 80 something, you know, in January. Um, so that's tough because you're you're doing the math, right? You're like, all right, I, we have X number of spots. You know, we're going to hold two or three to see who opens up in the portal at the end of spring. Well, now you're, you know, might have 10 spots, right? Because there's, you know, there are guys who are going to medical. There's guys who may leave also after spring. That's a lot of roster spots, right? We're not talking about, you know, a super deep program like Alabama where you have, you know, the guys who are third strings would start at a lot of other places. Like, it's really frustrating for, for everyone like that. And that's the big fear right now in college football for a lot of these coaches. If you're not at you know, a football blue blood, like you're going to get poached for guys. And it doesn't matter if you're Virginia Tech or Georgia Tech or, you know, Virginia, whoever it is in the ACC, if you don't have NIL money or you don't have um, an opportunity to save guys. And there's a lot of shady stuff going on too. Like, I mean, there's a, there is a coach, there's a coaching staff at a certain school uh, in another conference that literally has a guy who just hits kids up in the portal on Twitter. And and Instagram, he sees he tests them to see if they're going to go in the portal and what it would take for them to go in the portal. Kelly, this has been eye opening. I mean, depressing, but eye opening. So, wow. Fascinating stuff. Okay, let's look at at a positive here for Georgia Tech. A guy like Jeff Sims, super talented when he's protected, when he's feeling it, he can light guys up. We've seen it. Um, You know, obviously, I think Georgia Tech really they're going to build around him. What can his ceiling be? here in year three. You know, Jeff has a ton of talent. You saw a little bit of a leap up. His biggest issue, one is protecting him, but two, you know, is him going through his progressions and and making good decisions. I think Chip Long's going to get the ball out of his hands a little quicker, which I think is good for him. You know, with the offense, with Chris Winkie, who's a guy who's been there and done this and played with really talented guys like Jeff and, and has coached a lot of guys even in the NFL. I think that's a huge step up for him to have a guy like that that's that's been there, done it, and and coached even in the NFL. And then having Chip Longo as an offense that's, you know, let's face it, right, they're going to have to use the tight end more, which is something that's been missing. Tight end's the best friend of the quarterback. I'm really curious to see what that looks like. I think Jeff is getting pushed a lot harder than he was. I I don't want to say he's babied a little bit, but they definitely were trying to to keep it easy on him, and now they're trying to push him up to jump up a level, right? And there's – some competition. There's a kid named Zach Pyron that they signed from Alabama who's come in and really lit it up um, with just the workouts and stuff. And they're really curious to see him on the field. So 
I'm I'm excited to see what Jeff's going to do. I think he's a guy that has so much talent that just hasn't really been in a position to showcase it enough with with what they were doing offensively and the protection he had. What will be fun to see because he is such a special athlete. And I'm looking at the stretch here from Pittsburgh, Duke, Virginia, where you know he threw for 300 yards right right at it for three straight games and knowing that that's what he can do when he is protected and when guys are making plays for him so excited to see what what does year three look like this Georgia Tech defense has been I guess inconsistent at best I mean we've seen flashes of brilliance you you saw the Clemson game where man they they just contained them and and they showed something that Clemson couldn't handle couldn't see uh and, and then you know they get put 50 points on by Pitt 55 by Notre Dame and and so there's these inconsistencies really what what's the biggest piece that has to improve in your mind for tech defensively going into 22 I think getting a consistent pass rush like I did a stat breakdown the other day they had I think the least sacks of any of the defensive end combos in, in the ACC and probably defense if I had Broken it all down to the whole defensive line. I'm sure that would have held true as well from the starters. I mean, I think they had maybe six sacks um, between the two defensive starting defensive ends. So that's just not going to get it done, right? Like, I mean, you know, bad team like Duke had 12, I think. So, yeah, and they were certainly not juggernauts on defense. You got to get pass rush. It takes a lot of pressure off of the rest of defense. The two games where they did a good job of that, Clemson and North Carolina, they played really well, right? And and they had a lot of other games where they just couldn't do that at all and, you know, got lit up like Pitt and uh, second half of the Boston College game, you know, Notre Dame, Georgia. I think that's huge. The secondary has to play better. You know, they have Travaris Tillman, a former player they brought in as a DB coach to try to fire the two previous guys that were split up. They have him doing the whole secondary now with the idea to make it more cohesive. Um and they're replacing all of their starters, right? Like they have Zamar Walton is going to be the only starter back in the secondary for them. So I think it's um, kind of a clean state there. That group did not play well last year. Um, defensive line, that was the biggest rebuild really in the team other than um, other than the offense, retooling the offense from Paul Johnson because the Paul Johnson's last year, they had basically a group that was all seniors and a kid named Brandon Adams. Then Brandon passed away, unfortunately, in the offseason when Jeff got here. And they had no one that – they had two guys who had ever played, like, snaps when they got there on the defensive line. And they had been in a 3-4. So that's been a long transition. It's always been difficult at Georgia Tech for them to recruit defensive linemen. That's why they went to the 3-4 with Paul Johnson later in his tenure. Like, it is a struggle. The school's so hard. That's – offensive linemen, defensive linemen are always a little more difficult to recruit um, at Tech. And – that's been the big struggle. I think they've made some strides there. Now they got to show that on the field, and I think it'll make a huge difference um, just overall in their performance on defense. That's really interesting insight, too. I think everyone thinks about the O-line perspective for Georgia Tech coming from the triple option to now, but the D-line also needing a lot of rebuilding. Kelly, I want to talk about this schedule. You know, I go to bed every night, and I, I include Georgia Tech in my prayers because <laughs> they have to play. They're the only school in the world that has to play Clemson and Georgia in the regular season every year. And because of what's happened lately with both Clemson and Georgia, that is absolutely brutal. And of course they book in the season. They open with Clemson. They finish with Georgia, not to mention you got Ole Miss in there. You got central Florida. You're going to play FSU. Like always Miami at UNC. You got Pitt. I mean, geez, this schedule is absolutely brutal. Kelly. Yeah. I mean, the opening five games are, you know, they play Clemson to open the game open the season, they'll play Western in their FCS game. And then they play at uh, Ole Miss at Central Florida and at Pitt. 
right? And I mean, it's very conceivable to be one in four, right? Like, and that's that's going to be brutal. And then you have to win, you know, you got to win out basically, except for Georgia to go to a bowl game or it's a terrible schedule. The The weirdness of this schedule is the Ole Miss game is from a game they scheduled like 10 years ago that Ole Miss kept backing out of because they didn't want to play Paul Johnson. They kicked the game twice. The Central Florida game is from a hurricane game in 2017. And it was the one that essentially, had, you know, that was their great season, right? But if they had played that game, you know, Tech ended up, I think, five and five and six that season and go to a bowl because they didn't play a full schedule. So that game's like kind of a, a little bit of a, a an issue for Tech fans. And also the hurricane didn't actually hit Orlando. Um, so it was just a huge nightmare that that whole that whole thing, how it went down and a lot of drama and caused me a lot of drama with Central Florida Twitter because I was pretty <laughs> critical of them. Well, because South Florida who's down the road. They played that week. They played at Illinois. It, you know, they, those two games were kicked kicked down the road that are really hard. And you play your normal schedule, plus you're playing Clemson. And then they play it at Florida State as the other crossover. And, you know, they're a team very much like Georgia Tech. You don't know what – that could be a really tough game. That could be – that one's late in the season. That could be, you know, the sort of last stand of Mike Norvell, depending on how their season goes. So you have two different guys coaching for their jobs in that one. Yeah, it's just tough. Like, how do you how do you go through that and and – you know, playing Central Florida on the road, I think those games are insane for them to play. The the American teams, and I think the Americans probably better at times than the Pac-12, at least deeper. Like, I, I would not want to be playing those games. They're playing, you know, one-for-ones with them um, instead of playing, you know, a MAC team or, or a Sunbelt team or whatever. So it's tough, man. They have not pulled any punches. Last year they played Notre Dame and Georgia, um, you know, as a non-conference, and then – they end up with Northern Illinois, I think, won the MAC um, after going winless or something the year before. So, you know, it, it's just been kind of comical how the schedule has not really worked in their favor over and over again. And that's definitely impacted Jeff's uh, win totals as well. Well, you, you heard it here first. Georgia Tech fans, you're in Kelly's prayers each and every night. KG has you covered. Uh, Kelly, this was a lot of fun, man. Thank you for helping us break down Georgia Tech. We'll have to do this again when we get into the regular season. Really appreciate your time. No problem. Happy to jump on with y'all. Man, that's it, guys. What a fun journey this has been. ACC under review. Tie it up with a bow. Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. They've got a tough season. I mean, we already talked about it, and I know we just finished talking about it with Kelly. Their 21 was tough. 22 is going to be a beast. They're, they're going to have to find a way to get an upset, get it done, make something happen, uh, and it'll be very interesting to see. As we said at the beginning of this episode, we have combine coverage coming next week. Cannot wait to bring that to you guys as the combine bubble has been popped. They're going to uh, have a little bit more freedom there, which, I mean, my goodness, let's do it. Let, let's get back to uh, normal as quick we can, as safe as safely as we can, and uh, excited for next week. It's going to be a big time on the podcast. I like what you said there, Mac. The bubble's been popped. The combine will happen. So that's good news because we're going to bring you some coverage next week. And, of course, the biggest question with Georgia Tech, and we talked about this with Kelly, Jameer Gibbs leaving, going to Alabama. It's so tough these days to keep – the bright spots on your team. So how do they navigate that, especially opening with Clemson? Uh, 
we'll see. We'll see what happens with the Ramblin' Wreck. It'll be very interesting indeed. Guys, do yourself a favor. We have a producer on this podcast, Richmond Weaver, that does an unbelievable job for us, making us sound fantastic, doing all the social media things for us. He also has his own podcasts, plural. Uh, Go check out Automatic. Go check out Rich Take on Sports. Anything you want to hear from a basketball perspective, they have it on Automatic. And then Rich Take on Sports, really just a ton of great stories, ton, just very relatable things, all facets of life, really great interviews. Check that out anywhere you get your podcast. But that's it for us. Another great episode of Gramlick and MacLean. If you haven't already, go over to iTunes or Spotify, follow our podcast, drop us a little five-star rating or write us a review. We'd greatly appreciate that. But until next time, we'll see y'all.